Everything good now? We can hear you. Okay, cool. All right, so let me get my screen back up here. I apologize. So that previous video, if you can't hear me, uh, that was from Quad Mover. Um, I'm sitting here talking, talking away. <laughs> uh, four prop birds on one drone, pretty intense. Uh, check out the video. I don't know if you could hear the sound through my computer. Obviously not. But uh, um, I did want to uh, profile that. My buddy sent me that this morning uh, or this afternoon. So I did want to throw that out there. Yeah, that pic uh, picture is just crazy with <laughs> 64 prop blades. I know. It's intense, right? Uh, it looks really cool. I haven't watched the video yet, but I've seen that thumbnail. It just looks awesome. Even yeah, if it's it inefficient, does. it looks awesome. Oh, it's it's got to be incredibly inefficient. But I mean, the thing moves and it sounds ridiculous. Um, it almost sounds like a like a mini jet. It's cool. sure. So um, this is my nerd moment of the week. I I think I talked about this last week or two weeks ago. I'm sorry. Um, so this is the drone uh, that they are uh, flying on, going to be flying on Mars. Uh, it's supposed to be uh, April 11th, so it's coming up. It took four days to unfold uh, from the bottom of the uh, rover there, uh, of Perseverance, I'm sorry. And uh, there's a couple GIFs online that you can uh, check out that show the um, unfolding process of that. It was like it kind of had to uh, tilt down and then one set of legs popped out and then the other set of legs popped out and then it kind of dropped itself onto the, onto the surface there. So um, if it That's hasn't I, at this, I had huh? the same question as uh, text chat. Are you showing a picture of the Mars drone? Uh, I don't see it. Yeah. He's uh, sharing his screen. Be. You might have to click on the yeah, let me, red let me throw the live video that he's or a uh, live section by his name. Oh, there it is now to get it to pop up. But yeah, it might help um, be a little more descriptive of what's on your screen for people if they're just Yeah, listening. absolutely. I'm sorry about that, guys. Um, so the, the image here is the same one that I just dropped into chat. So it just shows the, the little um, helicopter uh, dropped in front of Perseverance there. And uh, so um, it's supposed to take flight uh, April 11th uh, or no later than April 11th. And uh, it's going to, it weighs four pounds. Um, it has four carbon fiber blades on two rotors uh, that will spin at about 25, 2,500 RPM. Um, and they need to spin that fast because obviously Mars atmosphere is uh, significantly less dense by like, you know, it says 99% here. So uh, it says April 11th is when to begin checking with NASA. However, the space agency has said that once deployed, Ingenuity will have 30 Martian days to conduct its test flight campaign. Um, so um, that's uh, the 30 soul clock will begin ticking once it's confirmed that Perseverance and Ingenuity are communicating via uh, radio. Crucial because Perseverance will receive and relay to Ingenuity the final flight instructions from the Jet Propulsion Lab's mission controllers. Um, so. Uh, yeah, it's going to be it's going to climb at a rate of three feet per second and uh, to hover at 10 feet above the surface for up to 30 seconds. So it's a very short flight. If you thought your FPV flights were short, there you go. <laughs> 30 seconds. That's all you get. So uh, this is going to be pretty With four cool, days though. of setup. 
I know, right? <laughs> it's insane. Yeah, can you imagine you get out to the field? It takes you four days to get yeah everything out of the box and unfolded, and then you fly for thirty seconds. All right, so that that's just incredible. So, uh, super nerd moment. I think this is pretty cool. So, so it hasn't flown yet, right? No, no, it it doesn't. It's not gonna. It's doing its pre treks starting uh, April. 11th so i suppose if we thought like the faa's recommended pre-flight checklist was long i bet this is <laughs> ridiculous insane right <laughs> so um yeah i think the uh perseverance has to move about 10 meters 15 meters away from it before it takes flight i'm sure it'll kick up a lot of dust and whatnot so um, they'll need to get all that uh clear from perseverance because they'll dusty up the uh um, solar panels on that thing mm. so well, they can just fly and, uh, over it and clear them off again. That's that's probably true. You, <laughs> Maybe. But you only get 30 seconds. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, here's the thing, though, is this thing's, I mean, they're going to send the flight instructions to this thing, and then it's autonomous, right? Yeah. From that point forward. It's not like you're going to be, there's, you know, some poor guy sitting at JPL that's going to, you know, be flying this thing. So I wouldn't want to be that guy anyway. So, <laughs> all right. Um Next up, I do have um, uh, Genesis, uh, which is a company owned by Hyundai. Hyundai um, had they released a three thousand two hundred eighty-one drone show in Shanghai, sets the world record for uh, sheer amount of uh, drones in the sky for one event. Um, so uh, if you thought Intel, it says if you thought Intel's 1,218 drones at the 2018 Winter Olympics was breathtaking, uh, then the more than 3,000 drones that lit up central Shanghai might even be more enchanting courtesy of Hyundai's luxury uh, marquee Genesis. Um, so it says you might be wondering why a car maker would use a drone-based stunt to mark its launch on the Chinese market. Cars and drones share some common elements but they're more like distant, distant cousins and siblings. It all boils down to messaging. However, in Genesis, particular message is that its DNA, represented by the double helix that the drones formed at one point, is defined by daring and audacity. Um, on a technical level, the show's climax made use of 3,281 drones at the same time, earning the Guinness World Record for most unmanned aerial vehicles airborne simultaneously. The previous record holder was Shenzhen Demota Intelligent Control Technology, who set the record last September with 3,050 drones. So I bet that's one of those things that really is different if you're in person than watching. Oh my God, I can imagine. I've, I mean, I've never been able to see a drone show. Um, so I mean, except for like on TV, but I bet that that would be pretty incredible at, at any scale, even if it's you know. 100 drones or you know a thousand drones or so on and so forth but that kind of uh communication and you know the, the control relays and and programming for all of that has got to be intense so you know hats well, off to them also isn't hyundai also a uam or urban air mobility uh creator or a manufacturer pretty sure they're getting, uh, getting i don't know that, that but Pretty sure they're getting into that space. That's where That's Di Diana Cooper left um, Precision and uh, went to work for Hyundai. She was uh, 
uh, one of the key people uh, helping out the DAC. Ah, so nice. com competitors to Joby. Very nice, very nice. Well, it seems like a lot of different companies are, I mean, a lot of companies are breaching into the drone space. Um, I didn't pull it up on one of the news articles this week because it was behind a paywall, but um, I know Toyota has partnered with Zipline um, for delivering medical supplies uh, across Japan. So um, Zipline has uh, grown pretty large. Uh, I know Walmart has partnered with them and a couple other companies beyond just what they were doing initially in Africa, delivering vaccines and, and that kind of stuff. So um, Zipline seems to be doing pretty well for itself right now. Um, this is pretty neat. Uh, let me draw this. I keep forgetting to paste in articles and I apologize. I'm all out of sorts today. Okay, so um, this is called the Elasticopter. Copter. Copter. <laughs> Um, so this drone um, features adjustable arms on it that can um, uh, dynamically adjust to the payload that it's carrying to prevent it from creating prop wash over the cargo that it's carrying. So this would be uh, a prototype for a cargo delivery drone um, or for a product delivery drone. So they can pull the arms in or out to adjust so that the load stays centered and at optimal efficiency uh, during flight and then can adjust to a different size package um, later on. So it says uh, the unmanned uh, aer aerial vehicle with adjustable arms, making it able to lift packages of different sizes and shape is the latest innovation from re researchers of the Robotics Research Center at the Institute. International Institute of Information Technology in Hyderabad. Um, they're calling it Elasticopter Copter, um, and was developed by a 24-year-old Siraj Bonagiri. Um, so, a uh, pretty young guy developing some pretty interesting uh, technology here. So, uh, Siraj's prototype is a rectangular-shaped drone with four propellers and a flexible chassis that expands and collapses that does not cause mid-air turbulence despite its adjustments in our design there is zero prop wash interference with the payload no matter its size in this method of attachment to cargo the mass is always centered and leads to optimal battery performance um so it's pretty incredible that uh hmm. um, so the inertia I mean, it seems like stays, stays Go ahead. the same <clears throat> the, the inertia stays the same but he's changing the polar moment mm -hmm. that so it's as it increases its um, effective width the uh, motors are going to have to turn or exert more force yeah more force to uh to counter the other motors so that's interesting yeah i mean and that, it seems like that should such... that should be a heck of a thing to tune i can imagine I mean, you would think that it would have to have some kind of dynamic ability to tune itself, right? Um, so not only is it uh, a physical uh, kind of uh, adaptation, but it, I'm sure it would be a software adaptation at the same time. So, so when you said it, variable, I thought he was—I thought they were going to 
change the length of each prop, which which would be really interesting, <laughs> and that would that would be a, ver- like a variable moment of inertia. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, a, no, like this a, is the like arms an ice, like an ice or, yeah. like an ice skater. You know, tucks in and spins mm-hmm. faster with the same energy output. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so pretty pretty incredible. I mean, and it seems like such a simple solution, but you know, I mean, here we are innovating stuff like that. So, um. Let's see. Next up, we've got the, the Civil Air Patrol Squadron hosts a drone qualification exercise. So on March 11th, the Ascension Composite Squadron of the Civil Air Patrol hosted a drone pilot and technician certification exercise at Lamar Dixon Expo Center in Gonzales. So the Civil Air Patrol, was, which is an auxiliary to the United States Air Force, and forgive me, I didn't know this actually existed, um, so I'm a little out of touch. Didn't know that the Civil Air Patrol existed? No, I had no clue, okay. to be honest. <laughs> that was in it. That's right. I, I'm sure hey, a lot I of mean, people have no idea. Um, I just I happen to know it. from where I work, uh, they have a, a meeting, a, a week-long like event there every year. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Did I hear someone say they were in it? Yeah, that, that was me. Alive. Hey, alive. Hey. I, Excellent. Very cool, Elias. Yeah. So in, in, this, in the uh, Northeast, there's a there's a junior uh, Civil Air, Air Patrol, which is it's yep. a, a great group and uh, uh, normally really uh, uh, very technical, which is a great thing. And uh, all a bunch of kids uh, aspiring to be pilots, which to us is awesome. Which is awesome. Yeah, there's like cadet programs, and there's senior. Uh, some some squadrons are cadets, and some are uh, some of them are cadets and seniors, and seniors meaning anyone over like twenty one. <laughs> and then there are some that are just senior. So uh, I was in a cadet. Well, and there's a lot of them in every state. There's many many squadrons in every state. So I was yeah, in it for like four to five maybe, years. So excellent. Probably not awesome. Arizona, but uh, but no, it's, it's like. It's like JROTSI, but a little bit more formal because they actually do help out with search and rescue for mm-hmm. general general aviation or anything CONUS, pretty much. So yep, which is awesome, and I I don't know why I didn't know anything about this, but uh, I'm definitely gonna do some more research into it. But hey, you know we all learn something new every day, right? So. Uh, it's an auxiliary of the United States Air Force and provides volunteer assistance to the Federal Emergency Management Agency and the Governor's Office of Homeland Security in responding to natural disasters in the state. Um, the assistance is primarily in the form of aerial photography to document the extent of a disaster. Uh, the primary way this is done is from Cessna 172 or 182 flying at 1,000 feet above the ground using conventional photography. A three-person crew is involved, a pilot and observer, the right seat and a photography a photographer in the left rear seat. Um, the pilot flies the aircraft. The observer helps in navigation, communication, and target location while while the photographer takes the actual pictures. In recent years, the patrol has decided to provide drone photography. This involves a pilot and technician team who fly the drone are able to uh, take live or still photography of a small area. The drone is limited to flying at no more than 400 feet above the ground, as we no, its utility is to manifest in situations where full-size aircraft are unable to get the type of detail required for a full disaster evaluation. Um, so it goes on to talk about uh, um, some of the uh, regulations and whatnot, uh, which is nice that it it uh, 
uh, goes through that. Um, Can I but, tell uh, you to copy the link of that into Discord? Oh, yeah. Thank you. Told you I'm all messed up today. All right. There we go. Thank you. Um, it says, in recent years, the patrol has decided... Oh, I already covered that. Uh, it says, the Civil Air Patrol, the longtime all-volunteer U.S. Air Force Auxiliary, is the newest member of the Air Force's total force. In this role, it operates a fleet of 560 aircraft, performs about 90% of continental U.S. inland search and rescue missions as tasked by the Air Force Rescue Coordination Center and is credited by the Coordination Center with saving an average of 80 lives annually. That's amazing. And it has awesome. about 57,000 members that also perform Homeland Security disaster relief and drug interdiction missions at the request of federal, state, and local agencies. Um, they also play a leading role in aerospace and STEM education, and its mentors serve, or and its members serve as mentors to 24,000 young people participating in the cadet program. So that's amazing um, to me as somebody who didn't know this actually existed. Um, the fact that you know this even existed and now they're pulling in drones to to supplement their fleet is awesome. Yeah, drones definitely seem like it fits with their mission pretty well. Yeah, mm -hmm. for sure. I mean, search and rescue. I mean, the the capabilities of a drone are immense. Um, I did. Uh, there was another article uh, that I didn't pull in, but that's okay. Um, of a Chinese, uh, I think it was a Chinese uh, lady that was lost somewhere for like three weeks. They put a drone up and found her in ten minutes. <laughs> it was like it's amazing. So the search and rescue capabilities of, of this kind of stuff is awesome. Um, this comes from National Defense uh, website, National Defense Magazine. Um, new 3D radar developed to support counter UAS efforts. And I know I say the word <laughs> counter UAS and everybody loses their mind, but um, this is pretty unique. So... Numerica Corp, a Colorado-based company, recently debuted a new 3D radar solution for counter-drone efforts and other short-range air defense missions. Numerica's Spyglass, a small form-factor radar, was designed to detect and track small autonomous unmanned aircraft, uh, said Nate, Nate Knight, vice president of air and missile defense at the company. The platform is optimized for what the company calls short-range air defense and can be used for detecting and tracking small UAS and other ground and air targets. Unlike many of the radars already fielded by the Defense Department that are now being retrofitted to address capability gaps, Numerica's spyglass design focuses on a very close-range mission area where drones can be a real threat. We think by doing that, we're going to be able to provide better protection against these kind of objects than you would get from a system that's optimized for long. So... One of the things that you know we as hobbyists were we're concerned about, obviously, is counter drone technology within you know our within what we're doing flying recreationally. I don't think that a lot of counter UAS um, technologies are being developed for that case scenario. Um, in I mean, there are, but at the same time, I would say that a lot of counter UAS uh, technologies are being deployed for military purposes to stymie the uh, ability for, um, you know, 
the that enemy to utilize UAS in that a offensive. To our to our benefit, yeah, they can only in the United States they can only be deployed by a federal uh, agency or law enforcement or federal mm -hmm. law enforcement. So that's a good thing. Like DHS, yeah. right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, yep. I mean, you guys know I'm working for uh, DHS CVP type counter UAS stuff. So mm -hmm. <clears throat> I mean. We still love One... you, Elias. <laughs> <laughs> we we won't show learning. you. I'm we still, I'm still learning. I'm still <laughs> new at it. But uh, but something I did learn recently is that you know they're they are putting um like as an example to no, notices to airmen right no no tams to people in the area especially across the border that are saying hey you know we're we're we have we have drones up or we have airplanes up you know be careful recreational users and. But you know how many times do recreational users check no tams though, right? And part part one of seven is probably. I mean, they should be. Even them, they're not doing it. But um, yeah, they're hoping that no tams is is a good enough notification to say, hey, stay out of the area. There are some counter US technologies in the area that could affect your drones. So I would admit I only happening. ever even pay attention to it if I was flying in a location where I needed to get my Lance app out to fly. Mm -hmm. That's right. Fun. Yeah. So, uh, pretty interesting stuff. Um, so that tells us I why you're here. You're getting uh, secret inside information for spying on us <laughs> FTV pilots. Uh, funny. He goes back and says, don't worry, guys. Don't worry about them. <laughs> They're all silly. <laughs> <laughs> so, Josh, yeah. So that article published. Which one? Yeah. The, uh, the one you take a look. How did you find an oh, article that's published tomorrow? You know, I got, I got, I got. Nice. He's got connections. Yeah, Insider you know. access right here. <laughs> right. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> uh, maybe they weren't expecting it to go live yet. Who knows? All right. So um, that's about all I have on news of the day. Um, the news cycle has been pretty slow lately. Um just as a touch-up, I do believe we, uh, several different companies, just as a follow-up to the last meeting, uh, have talked to DJI regarding um, what their plans are for their digital FPV system. I believe that uh, Cadex is now going to be taking over the manufacture of their products as opposed to it coming straight from DJI. Um, Dave and Dan, they're, they're probably a little more well-versed on what's going on with that. I don't fly DJI, but, um, but that seems to be the case. Although we're still, are we still up in the air on firmware? Um, uh, yeah. Okay. So we're still up in the air on, uh, firmware, uh, kind of tweaks and, and updates to the yeah, older I, generation. I asked, I asked the question and, uh, I don't have an answer yet. And. That is okay, great. So Cadex is going to continue to develop the effectively the air unit as well as their own existing nano and their own um, smaller, lighter versions of the air unit. But so is anyone going to update firmware and how do new versions of uh, that they produce get uh, synced with uh, you know, with updates uh, as required uh, with the transmitter with the goggles and. Those are all unanswered questions. So I so, and it, and it's like, wouldn't it be nice if we had some of those uh, V two uh, enhancements? Wouldn't that be? Mm -hmm. uh, because certainly DJI did a great job of enhancing the firmware uh, within the first year that the uh, 
digital FPV system was out. And that seems to have stopped. Yeah, I really hope they do keep working on the firmware and release something. The only thing I know that they said was sometime in maybe the middle of April was when they would tell us more information about, you know, presumably saying Caddx is making <laughs> this hardware for us. So hopefully in a couple of weeks we'll find out something more. Well, you know, middle of April's uh, next week. Yeah. So hopefully we'll have something. <laughs> hopefully by our so, next meeting there'll be more information. Absolutely. So um, we'll keep uh, we'll definitely keep an ear out for that kind of stuff. And as much um, as I'm very happy with what I have and have been using for a year and a half now, you always want to see more. Well, of course, and you want to make sure that your current generation that you spent $500 on a, a set of goggles is going to continue to work with, you know, the newer air units and anything else that decides to, you know, come out for all that kind of stuff. So yeah. you don't want to have a brick for an investment. So especially, especially, you know, when the same set of goggles that I've been using for five years now still continues to work. I mean, you want that same kind of capability. So, um, yeah. I guess slightly related to that, there's some rumors about uh, FR Sky or Free Sky coming out with a new radio that has HD digital video signal built into it. Interesting. But there's no real information other than DJI said it's not ours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We disavow yeah. any knowledge of this product. Well, as, if they say it's not theirs, then. You know, the the moment that uh, FR Sky, I think it was, is that mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. As the moment they say it's available, DJI would say, "Yeah, watch this." You know, we're going <laughs> to issue right. a new uh, firmware update, and uh, ooh, it, it's no longer compatible. Uh, I did that uh, where I worked, and that, that's that's how you play that game when you own market share. And you want to keep it proprietary. Yeah. Yeah. They... Because yeah, reverse engineering is. Risky business. There was a mm -hmm. camera. Was it Runcam or somebody else came up with a camera that said it would work with the DJI system, and then DJI released a firmware update that tried Nullified to kill the that. camera. I think. Yeah, I don't remember whatever <laughs> happened if that camera actually came out or if they killed it before it even came out. But yeah. interesting. Yeah, very interesting. Well, I know when it first, because I, I, I mean, I wrote a review on it when it first came out, and they said that there would be, you know uh compatible cameras that came out beyond just theirs um, and there are but... uh, caddx has three models maybe now of cameras okay. that work with the caddx vista mm -hmm. and are, are i suppose air unit compatible as well gotcha cool cool all right so any updates from the DAC? Yeah, it's expanding uh, from beyond the DAC to now uh, two ASTM working groups. So with the DAC, uh, we're working on the uh, low altitude, uh, increased situational awareness tasking group. That's tasking group nine. And that'll that's targeted. Uh, it's tentative. The next DAC is June 23. It's tentative because it's not official until uh, the Department of Transportation uh, approves the date and uh, it gets published in the Federal Register. Uh, we're also uh, kicking off, and I'm a subgroup uh, team lead on the gender uh, neutrality language. And uh, happily, a lot of people are taking this very seriously. And uh, uh, we talked about that uh, two weeks ago. And so uh, I'm going to help out uh, leading a, a research group. So that should be good. 
uh, with respect to uh, uh, the ASTM work. Um, it, it, that uh, continued on the uh, remote ID uh, standard working group, that's uh, F3411, um, that we're working uh, diligently to get a uh, an up, upgrade or an, uh, rather an update of the standard that will, prov will be provided to the FAA uh, for a means of compliance so that manufacturers of either a broadcast module or the standard uh, remote ID UAS can simply create a declaration of compliance and be in compliance with remote ID uh, in terms of being the manufacturer, as you uh, have read all of those requirements. Um, that prompted me to dig into uh, the UTM. I as I mentioned, we were I was involved in the UTM uh, DAC tasking group, and uh, I found out there was an ASTM UTM on. Uh, unmanned traffic management standard that was created, and now there's an update of that. So I've joined that working group. Uh, that, uh, to me, will be critically important as we go forward for things like beyond visual line of sight. So a little more far-reaching, but critically important to us, uh, because if ever there was a way to restrict recreational, it's when the UTM is in place. So mm -hmm. busy and. Uh, you know, it's uh, chunking along and uh, uh, an amazing, the number of people involved in the working group on a, the ASTM remote ID. We uh, have about, the invitation is to over 100 people, 60 people frequently show up and it's two hours, two to three hours uh, a week. So that's an amazing um, uh, co contribution from uh, the industry uh, to help out. And there are FAA uh, personnel on that call. Uh, the UTM is also a large group, and so uh, significantly larger than the, the DAC organization. So this is goodness from the perspective of great participation. It's not so good in the sense that uh, uh, not a lot of recreational participation. In the RID, it's good that uh, Horizon Hobby is there, and uh, they're, they're a vocal and a, a good participant. But that's, uh, I don't, yeah, in terms of recreation, I think that's, you know, it's, uh, Horizon and me, and that's out of 112 uh, uh, people on the call. Yikes! That's yeah. That barely counts as representation. Yep. Less than two percent. Gotta have pointy elbows. <laughs> <laughs> Shove the way in there. So Texture asks, uh, someone remind me when are RID uh, products supposed to be available? My guess is so, products could be available as soon as any time they're ready, but companies right. don't and, have to, well, can keep selling non-compliant gear until middle or well, September or so next year. Is that right? That's right. And and we so the, the objective that we're scrambling is to try to give the manufacturers as much time as possible to beat the, uh, the compliance dates. So, yes. Yeah, twenty twenty two. Yep, twenty twenty two is correct. And then we can keep flying what we have until twenty twenty three, September ish, twenty twenty three. So yep. just to clarify, so a manufacturer, let's say DJI or Skydio or you know Unique, they would not be able to sell one of their pre made, ready to fly drones um, to a consumer without a remote ID, like a. a standard remote ID system in place starting next September, right? 
Um, that doesn't seem so far away, does it? It really doesn't. <laughs> it and... doesn't. And certainly the, uh, the, the drone companies with more sophistication read probably Skydio and, and DJI, I would guess, mm -hmm. are trying to solve uh, the short-term problem with a software or a firmware upgrade. So you buy your new Skydio, your new DJI, the things become, a, you know, they have to you know, cut over and then a firmware update allows you to be compliant. That's possible with uh, some of the more uh, advanced. And yes, that means that there are probably are uh, additional radios on these uh, devices. So, but that's what that's some of the thinking. So, and then beyond that, um, for recreational, we probably won't start seeing remote ID modules for a little bit after that. Um, but we don't need to be compliant for a full year after that. So that gives the hobbyist community a little time to kind of innovate. And one one of the things that the ASTM stand, F38 standards is doing um, is creating kind of a uh, a standard or game plan to what the what those devices should look like, what they should you know function like, and be able to provide that out to uh, people to manufacture these things. Correct, right. Dave. Correct with a with a recipe of a um, a means of compliance. And so, right. if you follow that recipe, that and the FAA has approved it, then you need to create uh, a declaration of compliance, which is a design uh and not a an operational in the field testing so it's mm -hmm. a very different uh situation from type certification of aircraft yeah so and and yes i'm really interested in seeing what what comes out of all of this um so definitely curious uh, to see what becomes available if anything for recreational users yeah. to retrofit or add to an exit or a home-built system yep. yeah so, I mean, we're all going to be, I mean, everybody's going to be watching this and, and on the, on the flip side of all that is what's going to happen with, uh, um, CBOs and who gets to become a CBO Man, and how requesting, no, we haven't. And, but what's going to boil down to that is how easy is it going to be to request a FRIA if we can declare possible temporary FRIAs for like racing events or something like rampage, right? Um, so that uh, nobody would technically have to have remote ID as long as you're flying within the FRIA. Um, but if we could easily apply and create a FRIA uh, for, you know, events, then that would mitigate a whole lot of issues um, for those events, for races, for freestyle competitions. Yeah. And this is that, an, so. an interesting point. This came up last week in the discussion. In fact, Kenji Sugihara brought it up. It, within the ASTM remote ID standard, there was a thing called a volume res a reservation. And this was, I, I was able to get it changed from a dome to a, uh, a polygon when it, before it came out. And so this standard is international. And so it can be picked up uh, by various uh, entities that are uh, analogous to the FAA around the world. The FAA has chosen not to pick it up, but certainly that's the idea that when we push for things like shielded operations, like notify and fly, notify and fly as a alternative to remote ID. And this is what we have in mind is, uh, is this idea of a volume reservation. So I'd I'm going to fly in this volume and this time frame, and then I'll be gone. And that's the whole 
uh, idea uh, that uh, the ASTM came up with uh, uh, before before the uh, uh, and before the NPRM came out. Yeah, and also keep in mind that the FAA has invested in research into uh, shielded operations. There are a number of universities that are that receive grants from the government to do the research on shielded operations. And uh, so that uh, supposedly is underway and uh, we'll start to see some of the results of that hopefully in the, in the relatively near future. And uh, yeah. And text jet, you're right. Notify and fly makes sense. It's something that we've advocated for since the beginning. And, and with a little uh, bit of luck, it'll be part of the recommendations on June 23rd as part of the um, low altitude uh, tasking group. Absolutely. And so. if it works like Lance, it'll be slightly annoying, but not onerous, I guess. It's, it seems a little silly. Sometimes I'll go out with like eight batteries and I fly two batteries per spot. So I go like drive around to four different places, <laughs> flying two batteries and you know, get out my Lance. They hope I'm going to be here for the next 10 minutes. And then, <laughs> all right, 20 minutes later, I'm 10 miles down the road. I'm flying here. <laughs> Right. Wait till the wait till the counter UAS guys see that. It's like, what is this guy doing? What is he up to? <laughs> I'm sure it would look super suspicious too. I'm like circling around this location and I'm checking out all the angles to it. I know I'm just flying around the spot because it's got a cool tree. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> nothing suspicious at all. Right. So, and one of the other things I'd like to bring up, and I'd I'd like to turn this over to Alex pretty soon here, but, um. One of the things I'm noticing as I'm perusing through news articles is a lot more enforcement on drones, it feels like. Um, so I do know out of Georgia, two men were uh, charged with, I think, dropping contraband over a prison. Um, forgive me if I got that wrong, but that's relatively what I saw. Um, we've seen some enforcement against people flying around stadiums. Somebody harassed some firefighter somewhere with a drone and crashed it inside the fire station. So, I mean, the stupidity is out there and we really need to nullify it as best we can. Um, but I would say on a general scale, it feels like enforcement has been ramping up. Um, so, you know, whatever you guys are doing, just be safe and, and be smart about it. Um, I've, I've seen some odd posts on Reddit lately, too, where people are asking for help. Like, oh, I'd love to buy a drone. What can I get for $500 that can do X, Y, and Z? And it's like, <laughs> can fly for 30 minutes, and it can carry a payload, and it can drop stuff. And it, one of them was like, can carry 100 grams on a tether or on a string. Like, And my comment was, what that sounds awfully doing? suspicious. <laughs> and then, That's I don't so know, weird. I think there was a couple other comments, and then that post was deleted. <laughs> But, it's like vanish right there's been a few <laughs> things like that like if you're looking to do that that just sounds a little bit strange mm-hmm. barbell yeah. even got one too he posted that on facebook earlier oh yeah i did see that um all right so uh one of the new segments that uh we discussed internally that we kind of wanted to touch on uh to turn it uh because i know we cover a lot of news articles we discuss a lot of regulations but to bring uh, some FPV back into the world here, into our town halls. Um, and since Alex is an active racer, um, we wanted to have him kind of break down the news of uh, the racing season. So um, as things happen, you know, 
I guess in in terms of a lot of uh, coverage, in terms of what's happening in the racing scene, it doesn't seem to be a ton um, besides the odd video here and there. And, you know, there might be some of you out there who are interested in the racing scene. So we did want to dedicate a small segment of our show to what's going on in the racing world. So on that note, I will turn it over to you, Alex. Alex, convince us that we should be racing. (laughs) Well, don't fly freestyle and race. (laughs) <laughs> Much better. <laughs> there we go. So, in so just a couple weeks ago, uh, MultiGP had their competition to design the global qualifier track. Now, the global qualifier track is what everyone from around the world races on to set times to qualify for the global championships. Uh, mm-hmm. Those are usually those have been held in Florida the last couple of years. So here. They had, so at that competition, it started off where they got, I think it was 50 to 100 entries of different tracks, and it was narrowed down to five of them. Then MultiGP had a sim race using Velocidrone in which you got where the community got to fly it and race and then everyone who participated voted on their favorite track of the five and that selected our uh 2021 track which is the track from ak or anthony knight and so who's an arizona pilot by the way so (laughs) shout out to him um so you can find the track to practice it on velocidrone or you can so you go to Velocidrone and um, you'll go to the football stadium and then it will be one of the tracks in there. It'll say 2021 uh, Multi-GP Global Qualifier. And if you're looking to set it up in real life to get some practice, there's the link to the track diagram in both metric and imperial. Wow. So it's going to be easier to set up in metric because that's how it's designed for. In Imperial, you get a couple of decimals. So, <laughs> I, yeah, uses six five by five gates, five flags, two lat or two double gates, and at one hurdle. Uh, the video from the first link I showed you shows you the proper way to fly through it, as well as the diagrams have arrows which way you go through the gate. Um, so, based off of what the sims looking like right now, seems like people are. Top times are less than 30 seconds for three laps. And then it looks like probably the qualifying time for nationals on the track is going to be anywhere between 12 and 15 seconds as the cutoff. Uh, It's going to be close, but this year for the cutoff for nationals is the top 150 for pro class, and then it's the next 100 for sports class. Nice. So is this the norm? Is that you set up a, a single track for for this international racing, and and then everyone uh, uses that uh, to go forward? That's season yes. So that that's the track for the season. Uh, there's going to be a couple other races in which they're called their elevated races, in which the top three from I believe it's twelve twelve elevated races, top three each get tickets to nationals. Uh, that's their pro club. They get their pro class ticket so how they much, can how, ra- 
how much time goes down or how fast do, do people get as the season goes on? Or is there a lot of progression or you guys are just so great that, you know, you don't have, you don't have that much room to improve. So the top pilots you'll usually see around eight to 10 seconds a lap. Uh, average pilots you'll get around for like, I guess sports class, you'll see around 15 seconds, 15 to 20 That's seconds insane. a lap. And then uh, you're just average pilots are going to be anywhere from 20 to um, 20 to 30 seconds a lap. And then your beginner pilots are going to be after that, usually. So I would imagine. That's usually how the times break down. More room to improve as the, the slower you are. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, yes, I, I, I mean, I, tease, I, I joke about racing, but I, I'm in awe of the the skill mm -hmm. that you guys have to do that. You'll see people drop uh, 10, 20 se 10 to fifteen seconds in a single season. That that's insane. That happened. That I did that last year, which <laughs> lots of practice with COVID. Yeah, um, I'm sure. <laughs> more time. And so, then, did you do a lot of simulator yeah, practice or yeah, real life practice that. or both? Um, mostly sim practice, but there's a local AMA field by me that sets up the GQ track every year and it's a permanent installation. Well, nice. semi-permanent. We can change we change it every year to the track, but I go there and I get my packs in there and so That's cool. Hey Bubby, yeah, I bet if you was... talk to Van over, he could teach you how to race. <laughs> i'm so i'm sure I mean, you've got some connections like 10 seconds a lap i mean how long i mean in terms of meters how long is the track um the track has to fit within a hundred 200 by 300 feet okay or no 100 by 200 feet uh okay. i don't i'm not sure the exact track length because you're going back and forth a couple of times right but but yeah you're covering a pretty decent amount of ground in a very short amount of time I can uh, it's easier to go by gate count so you have in this track you have 11 gates no okay. 16 gates yeah 16 gates mm -hmm. so you're going at eight seconds you're going through two gates a second on average that's ridiculous. I can't even find like, the I next gate in two seconds. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I mean, my biggest problem, oh, yeah. like, I can fly through a gate. That's not a problem. I can fly <laughs> through some pretty tight spaces. But for me, it's knowing where the next gate is. Like, I would just be off in La La Land. And, I mean, I've tried in the simulators. I, I will do races in, in something like Liftoff or, or whatnot. But, like it's even challenging there. And even after the 20th try through the track, I'm just like, Nope. <laughs> well, if you think about it like this, you're go, you're spending, you're flying hundreds of packs to the same track oh, over yeah. and over again for the qualifier track. So after your, after about 20 packs, you have a pretty good understanding of the track five packs. It's like, you know where you need to go. Right. It's just, you need a little bit more. You just aren't confident enough and you'll still second guess yourself. But after 20, you usually have it pretty set. That's interesting. And, That's really cool. And 
the next thing, the next big race that's happening this weekend is the Mayhem Team Race. So this is going to be, this is held in Texas this year. And so Mayhem's race is 12 hours of team racing, dawn to dusk. It's going to be, yep. So start at sunrise, end at sunset, basically. Um, it's known for rain. So even though it's in Texas, you never know. It could be rain. It's a pretty good chance of rain that day because Mayhem's going on. Um, Do they fly, then they fly in the rain, like, no ifs, ands, or yeah. buts. Yes. Um, That's awesome. Last year at Mayhem, there were puddles, I think, almost a foot deep. Oh, and if your quad went down, it was down. Um, I hope people can year... formal coat their drones if they're going there. Oh, right. definitely. Definitely. Um, is this is this event taped, or is it on uh, YouTube? It's going to be live-streamed on YouTube through the Multi-GP channel. Okay. And last year... The uh, last year team winners were Team White Goat uh, was first, second was Wolfpack Races, and third was Quad Quad Rivals. So those are some teams to look at and look for. Uh, team White Goat, of course, is just uh, messing with the name of Team Black Sheep. <laughs> White Goat, Black Sheep. <laughs> yep. That's funny. So, so just look on just look for multi, multi multi GP on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. And I actually got an email from MultiGP. I think it was today. At, they're asking for uh, remote uh, volunteers to be, is it they call it judges? Mm-hmm. or So mm-hmm. they'll also be like live streaming this to people remotely watching it to make sure people are hitting their gates and the remote judges or whatever they do exactly. You could probably tell more about that. Now, even though last year's uh, winners were Team White Go, another team to look out for this weekend is going to be Team Velocidrome. Their 2020 average GQ time for all of their members was 33 seconds for three laps. Uh, they have the lowest team average from the 2020 wow. GQ. So that's, that's crazy. That, and Velocidrone, Team Velocidrone is made up of, we have SFPV, Wild Type, Noyacle. So he, he had Ironman mode up until the finals of the 2020 uh, Global Championship last year. He had none, Iron Man uh, mode. Is that what you none said? These people use real names. This is all handles. <laughs> yes, handles. Of course it is. You think I'm going to remember people's real names? <laughs> oh, jeez. So what uh, is Iron Man mode? Yeah. Oh yeah, that uh, that's a good question. Um, Iron Man mode is basically if so in a race you start off where you have a bunch of rounds of qualifying. And you try to get your fastest three consecutive laps. And at the end of qualifying, your rank, wh- whoever has the fastest three qualifying laps, they're seated number one. Mm-hmm. And so one, after that, after you're qualifying, that sets you up for your brackets. So mm-hmm. they put you into brackets. So you have the one seed and then everything, one and two, and then uh, 15 and 16 or something like They set it up so that you're racing through that. You go through the brackets and if the person who has the top qual- who has, who's the top qualifier and then they win each of their bracket heats once they get to the finals round since they've pretty much beat everyone every single time throughout all of those uh, brackets they have what's called ironman mode engaged where instead of having to win twice in a, or having to win twice they only have to win that first heat oh interesting so normally you the 
brackets go, you do you race until someone wins twice. Mm-hmm. So you could have first person win and you could have a different person win and you, you could even have all four people win. And then the next person who wins uh, is yeah. the winner for that. But to have Iron Man mode, you need to win back to back every time. Gotcha. And then in your final round, you just have to win that one last time. That's cool. Very cool. All right. So anything else for us, Alex? Uh on a side note from the one for the 107 FPV pilots, the new recurrence for night ops and ops over people was just opened up, I believe, yesterday to start taking on the fasafetyteam.gov website. So and if you want to take that and fly at night commercially, it's open re- at, but you can't do fly at night or do the, use those privileges until the 21st, I believe. And the recurrent training opened up, which is a big deal because it's now free. Which is a nice thing. Free and online, online, right? Versus having to pay and yeah. going into a train or testing exactly. center. Exactly. Good good point, Dan. Yeah. And that that's the renewal, not the not the initial. The initial is right. still about 160 bucks. You have to be there in person, but the renewal is a big improvement. Online and free. Perfect. Dan, you good. got anything for us today? Nope. I don't think I have anything new. Um we're still waiting to hear back from the FAA related to our application to host the trust, but we're not expecting them to announce anything probably till May, if I remember right. I have to double check the dates, but I think sometime in May they'll talk okay. more about that. 2021. Correct. This May. <laughs> hopefully. So hopefully, hope. yeah, hopefully we'll hear back on that pretty soon. Um, we have applied to uh, administer the trust test, which would be the uh, recreational uh uh, test um, and uh, that's going to be free it's a one and done kind of deal one and done being lifetime um, it's probably 15 to 20 minutes of your life and then you're done and then uh, going forward from that point you will need to carry proof that you took in and passed that along with your uh, FAA uh, pilot registration for recreational so Unless Congress changes the rules with the next FAA Reauthorization Act, which right. always could happen, which I suppose yep. is something we should be, we'll be keeping an eye on over the next couple of years, is the whole progress related to that. Yeah, we got two more years for that. I believe twenty twenty three uh, for the next reauthorization. So it's every five years. Um, at which point, obviously, we'll be doing a lot of advocating for, you know, relaxing some of the stuff that we're dealing with right now. But um, so. Um, and, uh, beyond that, we're seeing a lot of, uh, uptick in terms of, uh, racing events and events in general. I know, uh, um, a lot of buzz around rampage is going on. Um, I, I'm pretty sure I haven't seen a whole lot, but I'm pretty sure West coast throwdown is going to be going on this year. So, um, some big events, uh, thrown by uh, a lot of great guys. So, um, all I can say is keep a lookout for those and be safe. Um, obviously, when you're traveling and whatnot, if you're going to any of those events. So um, hopefully this will be a uh, more uh, active year for FPV. Um, I think everything just kind of, you know, took a 
took a little bit of a downturn last year. Um, I do know, however, that um, global production has now, in terms of uh, um, chip availability, microprocessor availability, has now begun to impact the, the drone industry. Um, there's a lot of shortages of a lot of different products out there. Um, so if things become hard to come by, um, just, you know, don't be, be surprised. Yeah. Don't be surprised because, you know, with everything that shut down last year, that stuff's kind of starting to catch up. So, um, you know, if there's, if there's some flight controller shortages or yeah, I any think kind I just of heard something about like gyros and stuff are getting harder to come by and getting more expensive. And that means obviously flight controllers are going to be affected and yeah. Yeah. So Any, anything that's an application specific integrated circuit, that's where the choke point is. Mm -hmm. So you know, not memory, uh, but uh, anything that has uh, you know, logic in it, that's, and uh, you know, we're, we are not on the, uh, uh, on the cutting edge in terms of prioritization. No, this is going to be, uh, <laughs> uh, it's going to be nasty because it's, this is not the uh, build, building up uh, capacity in fabs is not something that happens overnight and each fab is a, a multi-billion dollar uh, facility and in the united states i'm pretty sure we have zero now we've uh, uh intel uh, amd ibm was a a large had large fabs they've all gone fabulous and uh, have moved their fabrication facilities uh, offshore to asia so we're stuck and uh, we'll see what happens over the next couple of years. This is uh, going, uh, things will probably change, but you know, building a fab is a multi-year, multi-billion dollar mm -hmm. uh, event because it has to be really stable and, you know, like going down two or three stories into, uh, into the earth to build the foundation so that uh, you get no vibration and then you isolate the, uh, the building. So it's, you know, things like that, that we've learned over the decades of, uh, creating fabs it's never cheap and it's not just I do know components okay. like that that are short supply there's all kinds of different things i know i'm I, i'm also <laughs> right interested in mountain bikes and bikes are really hard to come by because say a manufacturer can't make brake levers or whatever piece it is mm -hmm. they can't build a whole bike because they're missing one part and like you said lumber got super expensive and it's just mm. Yeah, it's about four times the price right now. Yeah. So, uh, Shida OSB that used to cost eleven bucks seven months ago is now uh, I think running about forty five bucks a sheet. So, Ouch. yeah, yeah. So, and that in turn drives home prices up, and it's just a nasty cycle. So, you know, just be forewarned that that stuff like that's happening, and and um, so things might be kind of hard to come by. I do know that uh, there's a Taiwanese chip manufacturer that is. TSMC. Building. Yep, they are building here in Arizona. Yes, um, that's big news. Yeah, so uh, that'll be interesting. Uh, big IC. Uh, yeah, the, the, it's huge news because they are one of the leading uh, manufacturers mm -hmm. in the world in terms of getting down to the uh, nanometer. It's yeah. like what is it? Like I think they're eight or seven nanometer now. So they're advanced, and that is great news for Arizona. Great news to have a, a big fab uh, by TSMC uh, in the states. Yeah. And they're hiring a ton of engineers, so uh, it's going to be crazy. So, at any rate, uh, you know, not to end end on a somber note, but I just did want to, uh, you know, forewarn anybody who's watching. Um, that's the very reason I'm sure that DJI is kind of offshot 
some of their production over to to Cadex to kind of close that that bottleneck a little bit. So, um, but at any rate, um, any any questions? Fly more, crash less. That's the yeah, uh, absolutely. (laughs) Buy your spares when you can. (laughs) Props probably okay. Arms only. Yeah, flight controllers. (laughs) No, no flying in foot deep puddles. Yeah, for sure. All right. So, any questions, comments, uh, ideas, suggestions? Uh, how'd you like our, our racing uh, thing? I think Alex did a great job and uh, super informed on that stuff. And I, hey, I learned something today. I am not a racer, in case you did not know. I don't think Dan's not. I'm not. Dave's not. So, I'm hoping become one. Uh, I'm, What's I'm that? hoping they have. Uh, you, should, you all should become one. If they have a, a senior class, then uh, you know for the slow guys. <laughs> nah, everyone races together. It's only fair. Yeah. So I mean, I use the racing style drones for freestyle in terms of you know the super lightweight. I do fast freestyle, but uh, yeah, racing's not my bag. <laughs> <laughs> so at any rate. Uh, I will, um, if you got any comments or suggestions, I mean, hit us up on YouTube, uh, leave a comment there. Um, obviously it helps, um, or drop a comment here in discord. Uh, always welcome. Um, uh, let us know what we can do to improve, uh, what you feel we should be working on, how we're doing so far, all that kind of stuff is good information for us. And we love your feedback. So, um, at any rate, um, if there's nothing else, I will let you all go for the evening and thank you for coming everybody's super quiet i know the last couple episodes come on guys we need we need some feedback just don't let our video scare you (laughs) no i know i know some some of the content's not always the the most entertaining but at the same time hopefully you learn something i put a counter us video up there if a drone shooting down another drone that's hopefully that'll entertain the crowd a little bit (laughs) Uh uh-oh uh-oh thank you Uh I think. <laughs> hey guys, if you're interested in racing, hit Alex up. He's super smart. He's super into it. He can probably help get you started. Um, and uh, um, there's a lot of, I, I'm sure there's a lot of racers within the Discord. So hit these guys up. Um, let them know you're interested, and, and they yeah, can probably give you a hand. Most likely, there's a multi-GP chapter somewhere not too far from you that you can join mm-hmm. and get more help and look for races. Absolutely. Yeah, so it's across the entire country, it's awesome. Yeah, it's huge. It's great. So, right. um, or get one of the simulators, start practicing. Well, All do right. both, Let's of help. course. Yeah, that's what I did. Well, Thanks, Alex. Like, Alex gave me a few uh, a few lessons on, on the side, so I appreciate it, man. Give me a little appreciation. All the multi GP official tracks are on Velocidrone. So, yeah, cool. All right, so um, if you want, uh, shoot Alex a message. Maybe he can uh, spotlight one of your local races or something like that uh, in one of the next uh, one of the next town halls. I'm, Who knows I'm sure if there's enough that. if there's enough interest? Uh, we'll just have to make an FPV Freedom Coalition team someday. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> or even sponsor a race at some point. That'd be cool. All right, so with that, have a great night, everybody, and uh, stay safe out there. All right. See you later.